culture fit is huge. We would rather hire someone who's a better culture fit than someone who had all the skill sets in the world that we're looking for. Because we can train people on a lot of stuff, but we can't train people to be good people or, again, to have some of the the core competencies that we're looking for for the, the cultural fit. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by PlanWell, BeWell. PlanWell, BeWell is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. So welcome to the Breaking Money Silence podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the inside scoop on negotiating your next job. And I have the perfect guest to help us out with this conversation. Her name is Sandy Molitary. She's a senior human resource professional with over 25 years of experience in managing organizations through major change initiatives, business ramps and downturns, and organizational change. She brings a combination of strategic and tactical skills to any organization, along with exceptional collaboration, communication, and problem solving. She happens to have an MBA, but even more importantly, she has three dogs, loves to snowmobile, and volunteers at a local animal shelter. Welcome, Sandy, to the call. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here today. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about this topic because you have a perspective that I don't have to bring to our listeners, and that's working from the inside as an internal recruiter. So Mm -hmm. I know we had an opportunity to get to know each other a little bit, and I want you to tell the listening audience why you are so passionate about the field of recruiting. So... I've been in recruiting, human resources slash recruiting for, I'm going to say 25 plus years, because when I really did the math earlier, I was like, ooh, there's a three in front of that number. Let's just say 25 plus. That sounds nicer. <laughs> and um, I looked back over my career, and I've I've gone back and forth between being HR generalist to recruiting. And they are all part of the HR function, but they are different, and not everybody likes talent acquisition slash recruiting. Others, some people like employee relations, some people like the benefits, the administration side of HR. And I realized that the reason I've um, been always drawn back to talent acquisition, recruiting, that that part of HR is the, it's because I get so well connected to the business, uh, the relationships you have with leaders, with managers, hiring managers, and and of course, most importantly, the candidates, how many people that I've I've met throughout my lifetime. So like my LinkedIn connections are probably well over five, 6,000 connections. A really good recruiter is going to have that many connections, but it's, it's really about the conversations and the ability to meet people and learn about new things and understand what's going on with other companies. And I love to put the pieces together to connect the dots, so to speak. Here's a person, we have a role and you found the, the and that you brought them together. And I just love being able to do that. And just feeling, like I said, I think the biggest thing is feeling 
connected to the business through what we do. Well, and you get to bring in good people, you get to, you know, really impact the culture, work with leaders. And so it mm. does sound like a really cool job in terms of all the connections that you have and these conversations that you have. I'm curious, as somebody who hasn't worked in HR, how often are you talking about negotiation as part of your job? It's often. I wouldn't say it's every every minute of the conversation because Part of the conversation is getting to know people, you know, what makes them tick, why are they interested in the opportunity, why are they looking, why aren't they looking? Because uh, sometimes our conversations are not with people that are looking, but you're trying to recruit them to come join your company. But negotiation de definitely comes up. You know, a lot of times people hear the word negotiation, they automatically think you're talking about money. And yes, that's that's a really good deduction because negotiation does come up at the beginning of the conversation because we have to make sure that we're in the same ballpark. It comes up in the middle, at the end, all about that. But it's not just about money. Negotiations on a lot of different things. And uh, it comes up throughout the conversation. So you, you, one of the things I always do and I tell the people that have, have worked on my teams is it's not just a, a one-time conversation. It's something that you bring up throughout the process because something might have changed with that person in their life. They learned something about the opportunity. They learned that it's bigger than they thought. It's smaller than they thought, whatever it might be. So you can't just have that conversation about the compensation piece just once. It has to be throughout the whole process. And one thing you brought up is a big stumbling block for a lot of people who go for a job is when they're asked about their salary requirements at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So speak from your perspective as to why that's an important conversation and how you prefer candidates to handle that. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And um, I've gotten better over time <laughs> with that mm -hmm. with that very, very question. So I think when earlier in my career, if I asked the question, if people said, oh, I'd rather not tell you right now, let's talk about it later, I would say, okay, that's fine. Um, but I realized that was a really bad idea. And I actually tell people, let me tell you why I'm asking this question. And I even start the conversation up. Now we're going to talk about something that, you, that most people don't want to talk about. It makes people uncomfortable. It's not meant to make you uncomfortable, though. It's meant to make sure that we're, I'm not wasting your time and you're not wasting my time. That's, that's why we're having this conversation now is, is, you know, what are you looking for? The other thing I'll tell people is this is, this is my job. This is what I'm, you know, I am, my client is the hiring manager. And if I present someone to them that's making way more than we can pay, or your expectations are way more than we can meet, I haven't done my job. And um, that's going to reflect badly on me as an individual. So that's why I really want to make sure that I am I know what you're looking for. And likewise, you're going to have a bad experience. If you've spent all this time talking to us and you're going to talk to five, 10 people, whatever it ends up being, and then find out that we are just too far apart, you might think, well, that's great. I got to talk to all these people. I'm like, please, like you, you must have had something else to do with your time than <laughs> to interview with us for a job that you are never going to be able to get. So I, I try to be really, I say casual, but direct at the same time to explain the why I'm asking. And I also let them know this is not the last time we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about this again and again, because you're going to learn about the job and be like, you know, Sandy, yikes, I think I need to ask for money. This is a bigger job than what I thought it was going to be. And I want to make sure like you don't have another offer on the table. And maybe you're, you've gotten a raise or you got a counter from your current employer. Anything can happen. So you don't make any assumptions. That's like a big thing with me is I never assume anything. Well, what's interesting, Sandy, and what I'm curious about, if I was a candidate going into a, a company and I was asked that question and somebody didn't proactively, you know, the talent acquisition person didn't proactively explain to me why they needed to know, is it okay for me to go? Can you tell me a little bit more about why you need to know at this point in the process? Or would that question be a turnoff? 
It wouldn't be a turnoff. And that has happened. People have, I just, I have actually a great example. I have a candidate that I'm working with right now who would not tell me what they wanted. They were pretty adamant about it. So, you know, we could have stayed on the phone all day going back and forth about our reasons for why we need to know or don't want to share. So what I, I compromised and I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to have you talk to the manager one conversation and then you and I are going to have a fault conversation because now you can have a better sense of what they're looking for, what the role entails. You'll have a chance to ask questions. And if the manager is interested, great. And we want to take the next step. We'll do that. But we, you agree, you and I agree that we won't be able to, that I won't be able to do that until you and I have a conversation about compensation. And they agree. They said, yes, that's a fair compromise. Okay. And I'm fine doing that. But then that, that means I have to be on my toes and keep myself organized to know that, okay, I didn't get compensation from this candidate, but I got it from this candidate. So you definitely have to be very organized. And it's, it's about relationships and trust. And again, explaining yourself. You can't just say it's because, because I need to know. Tell them why and give them a valid reason and that they trust you to know that just because you've given me a number doesn't mean that's what I'm going to hold you to because you have the right to change your mind. Uh, it's just want to make sure we're in the same ballpark. That's, that's what I usually hone in on. Well, and I want to highlight that. You have the right to change your mind. Some people feel yep. they'll be totally locked into that amount. And as you're even describing negotiating with this candidate just around whether they're going to share salary information, you negotiate a lot. It may just not always be about the mm. salary because that in itself is a negotiation. Right, exactly. So in this process, uh, and I understand over the years you've held different positions, but what have you learned about candidates when they negotiate, you know, in terms of, is there a gender difference? Is there a generation difference in how people are negotiating and how successful they are or not? I've certainly read articles about this too, but from my own personal experience, I don't have uh, any stats on this from my own experiences, but just looking back, I, every time I have extended an offer to most male candidates, they, they counter. No, not all. And it's it's interesting because I, I extended an offer to somebody and it was a male candidate and they didn't counter. And I went back to the manager to say, hey, so-and-so accepted. They're like, you mean they didn't counter? And they were really disappointed that they didn't counter. And I was like, what? You want to, okay, this, they accepted the offer we gave. It's a great offer. But they were expecting that candidate to counter. Likewise, I have certainly seen uh, females counter, but not as often. It, they tend to accept what I've offered them more often than pushing back on that. The generational differences have been different. It's not always about the money. Sometimes it is, but it's less about the money and more about flexibility and what kind of benefits do we have. And they're more in tune with the work-life balance that they're going to have, at least the today's generation, and who they're working for and um, what value they're really going to be bringing to the company. And the, sometimes, in some cases, the title that they're going to have and really where does that put them in the organization. So money is still important, but I, I do find that there are differences between what people are looking for and also what attracts, even what attracts them to our, to our website, what attracts them to our company um, is different by the generations as well. Interesting. I just uh, coached a uh, Gen Z on getting a, a raise, a different firm than the firm that you work with. And one of her big things, and she ended up being 
Victoria, so was she definitely wanted a title upgrade. And so we spent a lot of time talking about that. And, and I think she was more thrilled with the title than she was with the additional money that she negotiated, to be honest with you. So those generational differences are, are interesting. I'm wondering, though, to go back to the, the potential gender differences based on your experience, does a manager respect somebody who's negotiated their salary more or less, or does it not impact that relationship at all? I, I don't think it impacts the relationship. I also think it depends on the who the manager is. Uh, if the manager themselves is, uh, even if they're a female or a male, I don't think it, I don't really think it matters. But it is interesting that I have seen people react to say, "Oh, they didn't negotiate." And in that particular that one example I was giving, that where this manager kind of had a like a surprise reaction, I, I think they were almost judging that new employee to be like, "Oh, I wonder how they're going to be in the job." if they didn't try to negotiate a higher salary. So I thought that was interesting. And I've actually talked to some, you know, pretty senior level female leaders that are involved in hiring. And they themselves have admitted to me, I did a terrible job when I took this job. I didn't negotiate. I just took what was given to me, or I didn't push back, or I didn't ask for more of something. And they're making observations of people that we're hiring today that are countering males and females, of course, but they're just noticing, oh my gosh, that person got this huge relocation bonus. So that person negotiated to get this huge sign on. And I never thought to do that. And I, I do think that's generational. I do. Um, Cause sometimes, you know, older generation, it's not polite to ask for more money or right, right. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing that. But it is really interesting to observe that though, as you're talking to people. And that's, again, that's what makes this so interesting because you talk to people of all shapes and sizes and ages and colors and et cetera. And it's just interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Now, one of the assumptions, and it may be wrong, but one of the assumptions that people might be making is if you do all this negotiation with candidates, that you must be a master negotiator yourself. Uh, is that true? Or have you made mistakes when it came to negotiating your own salary? Oh, I, I absolutely have. And not even just salary, but I certainly, I've, I've thought about in the past where I've gone into companies that have offered me the job and I just took the number that they offered me. I didn't even think to push back or say, gee, I, I love this opportunity. I would love to get, you know, $10,000 more, whatever it might be, or $5,000 more, whatever it is. I even, I'll use this as an example, if that's okay, but one of my, my daughter's works in retail and she had made the observation that there were people coming in, new people coming in that were getting paid more because everybody tells each other what they make. And so my advice to her is like, then just, just ask. She's like, Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm like, well, well why not? Like the worst thing you're going to hear is no, you're not going to get in trouble for asking for more money, but why not just ask? But yes, back to me, that is a mistake. Certainly I have made, um, I've even made, and again, I kind of mentioned this earlier, it's not just about money. I've made some mistakes um, with negotiating other things, like, for example, title. Tell me a little bit more about the title, and because that's come up twice. What, you know, and, and for people who aren't in the corporate world, uh, or maybe not in a corporation where titles are as important, uh, explain a little bit about kind of what you thought you could have done differently in that situation. Yeah, so um, I had I interviewed for a position that the, the title was, was a, a, a more senior level title. And that's what attracted me to the job in the first place because it was a career advancement. It was an opportunity to take the next step in my career. And certainly it looks nice on your resume to show the, the advancement that you're making upwards. So when I, I, I interviewed with the company several times, I met lots of people. It was great 
organization. I was really excited. And the company asked me to come in because they wanted to uh, actually present me the offer in person, which I was like, oh, that's that's different. Okay, sure. Why not? So I, I went into the company. I met with the uh, the CEO and he's like, you know, I, I do want to make you an offer. But before I do that, I, I need to ask if you'd be willing to take this other title, which was not the, the, the original title. So some might say that, gee, that was a bait and switch in a way. But again, I was really interested in the company, the opportunity, the people, the culture, you know, and the, the money was what I was looking for, but the title had been dropped back a little bit. And the reason they they did it was because of internal politics, et cetera, et cetera, which that should have been assigned to me, by the way. Um, absolutely. I should have read into that a little bit more, but I agreed to it. And then later, later on, like, you know, six months into my career with them, I went back to say, gee, this would be, I would love to be able to get that title back. And I couldn't get it. So what I learned from that experience is, and I say this all the time. So it's like, take my own advice, get everything in writing, get everything in writing. So if, if a company is saying, well, we're going to offer you this now, but in six months, we're going to move you to this, like put it in writing, put it in the offer letter, put it into some documents so that I have proof that this is in fact what's going to happen because unfortunately verbal promises don't hold up anywhere uh, at least in, from my experiences i'll say that so that was uh that was one of the experiences i had that i learned a lot i did learn from that a lot well that's i mean that's a great story you did learn a lot and it's also helpful for people to understand to really kind of think through when the process gets changed up, you can take some time and think, why is that and how that's going to impact me? The getting it in writing, you don't know this about me, Sandy, but I'm a big get it in writing kind of gal. And so <laughs> I'm wondering, is an email enough or should it be in the offer letter? We certainly, and I, I have, I have sent things to people via email, but I... I strongly encourage it to be in the offer letter or in, in a documented letter. I know that sounds kind of old fashioned. Maybe that's my, my generation coming out in me, but an email can get doctored. Honestly, I've seen people do it. I've seen them even mess around with the, the, the date stamp and the timestamp oh. and stuff like that, just to make things look like it came out earlier or later. So I don't always trust emails because someone can always go on the back end of a server and just do whatever they want. Um, so I think when it's in writing and it's signed with that wet signature, it's just something that is more, it can be memorialized much better in my opinion. No, that that's good advice. Of course, somebody should always consult a lawyer if they're really concerned. But at the same time, you know, I work as a consultant and, and so I'm negotiating deals all the time. And so anytime there's a change in a deal, I always want to get it in writing. Mm. Uh, and part of it is, it's not that you don't trust the person, it's that you never know if that manager or it, who hired you is going to be there in six months. I mean, it exactly. may be that all you have is that letter to say, hey, this was promised to me versus not having it. So yeah, I think that's a great tip to get it in writing. But okay. you mentioned a couple of times title. What else is negotiable? Because I'm not sure everybody listening understands how many things can actually be negotiated when you are interviewing for a position. I'll say a short answer, but then I'll give you a longer answer. I'd say everything everything can be negotiated. So now you're like, well, well, what's everything? So everything from, we talked about title, we talked about compensation, compensation being the big one, but break down compensation a little bit more, not just the salary or the hourly rate. What about the bonus? What's the bonus structure? Is there any way to negotiate around that? Could you negotiate a sign-on bonus? Could you renegotiate re a retention bonus? Could you relocation? 
you know, parking. Think about all those kind of things. The other thing is even benefits, some of the benefits that you might be getting, you might be able to negotiate into that, like your PTO or your vacation accrual. You might be able to also even negotiate extra time off, even if it's unpaid. You, so I've, I know a lot of people like, I really like to take off six weeks of vacation a year, even if two of them are unpaid, but I just need to know that the company is going to let me take that time off. I've seen people do that. Training and education. A lot of companies do have that benefit, but some companies don't. So negotiating to, to have so, so much money per year allotted towards your training or education. You can also, if you're leaving a company, that you're going to owe tuition back to, you can negotiate with your new company to say, hey, give me, give me a sign-on bonus to pay back my old company. So that's something else that can be negotiated. Even if you were um, on COBRA for your last company, you had to pay, that's not cheap, obviously, <laughs> um, but you can negotiate your new company to help um, reimburse you for that, um, that expense. And then even what you're doing, you know, even I've seen people negotiate the job description to say, I'd really like to have more exposure to X and have that be part of my job. So we've, we've actually changed up the job description. And then even, which is big right now, is where you work. Are you hybrid? Are you remote? Are you in the office? Et cetera. So the, everything, hopefully that gives you, even start date, like negotiate your start date. Like, gee, I can't start in two weeks. I, I want to take a week off in between. All that stuff is all negotiating. I wish I had known you when I was negotiating jobs earlier in my life. I, I, <laughs> the idea of the former, co the new company paying off your tuition from the last company, I had never even thought of that. So Sandy, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to offer the listeners some concrete tips on negotiating with someone like you. So we'll be right back. Great. You know that negotiating your fees and getting paid what you're worth is emotional business. And I know how to help you become a rock star negotiator. So I am offering an exclusive group experience, a masterclass on negotiating for a hand-selected group of business women. So if you're highly motivated, career-driven, and ready to take a deep dive into your money story and learn how to shift sabotaging beliefs so you can earn more, then this masterclass is for you. I'm taking applications now, and space is limited to eight kick-ass women. You're going to get individual and group coaching, both facilitated by me, as well as video lessons, handouts, and a bunch of bonuses to help you become the rock star negotiator I know you are. So check it out at breakingmoneysilence.com backslash negotiating hyphen masterclass and register today. Today I am with Sandy Molitari. She is a senior human resource professional and she is helping us get the inside scoop on negotiating your next job. So Sandy, I promised before the break that we would do some concrete practical tips for people who are negotiating with a recruiter or with a firm. Tell me, what would be your like top three tips you would have for our listeners? I think the first thing I would say is if you're going to counter or again, negotiate anything we, and which we've talked about, if it's money, if it's time, if it's the job description, regardless of what you're going to be trying to negotiate on, you need to have a reason why. So I'll give you an example. If you wanted to say, I'd really like to get, you know, X more dollars. Okay. Well, why? A reason's not because I want more money. 
Uh, of course, that's, that's, of course, that's why you want more money, but why, what's, what's the, what, give me some concrete reason why you should. And this is where you want to bring in, well, this is what I'm bringing to the table. I'm going to be able to hit the ground running in two weeks. I'm going to be able to implement that new software package that you're purchasing. I'm going to be able to bring together and uh, build this team for you in the six months that you've given, like something that's really tied to what the company, the goals that they've given to you. you so you kind of have to make it hard for them to say, Oh yeah, you're you're right. Like those are great. Those are things we're looking for, and that does bring a lot of value to the company. So we we would like to get give you more money. So think about that. It's it's a little bit less about what the company is going to give you because that doesn't that does benefit you, but the company is not going to give you more money because they're already paying you to do the job. So I, I try to avoid. Well, I'm going to learn from you, and I'm going to get this from the company. It's more what you're going to give the company. That's really important. I'm going to jump in real quick because I do a sure. lot of coaching around value and selling your value. Mm. And so the idea of, you know, how are you going to impact their bottom line? How are you going to save them time? Like, what are you going to do? That's the business case. And I think in the past. It, it, men maybe too. I know that a lot. I tend to coach more women. Uh, things like you know, I'm a single mother. It, I feel for you, but that isn't a business case for why you need to make more money. And so um, mm. it sounds like what you're talking about also is that business case. Absolutely, yeah. And we will do that. So when people come to us and say, "I want to counter. I'd like more money," the first thing I say is provide justification. Tell me why you think the company should give you more. And some people will stutter. They don't know what to do with that. Um, I'm not going to coach the candidates <laughs> through what to say. I, I am on this podcast, but that's something we want to really have candidates think about. And when they come back and say, just because I want more money or it's, it's a longer commute, I'm like, well, those are things that's, that's given. You knew that when you applied, you knew that when you looked at our location, you knew that when we had the conversation. So it's, it's really about what they're bringing to the company that so the company can't push back and say no they can also i mean some other things honest when they're countering is um i have had candidates say because i have two other offers that are x amount more money which it's hard for them to prove because most candidates aren't going to bring the offer letter that they have from the other company but that is something that we that we do keep in consideration because we want to be competitive with the market and if another company is offering more money, that's, that could be a reason why we would up, up the um, offer. Now, I know I want two more tips from you, but before we move on to the next tip, what if someone lies? Like, can you, can you usually tell if somebody's lying about that? Oh, I have another offer or, or my current firm is going to match. Sometimes you can tell by the person, um, but honestly, there's really no way to prove that at least not from my experience, because I, I will not say, well, prove it to me. Show me your offer letter. I don't typically do that. But I certainly I do hear from other people like, oh, I have to make a decision on this other offer. So I need to, to know if you guys are interested. Nine times out of 10, I, I don't think they do have the other offer. They're just trying to get us to move faster and to make a decision and to present an offer if that's what we want to do. And you also, right, and the other thing that's different today is you, know, you can't ask people what they make at least not in Massachusetts, that's a, a law and that's right. I mean, right. prevalent in other states too. But so when you're asking me what they make, you just, you're like, okay, that's great. That aligns with what we want to pay. And I actually like that change to be perfectly honest with you, because now we're not basing it on maybe what your last company was paying, et cetera. But I guess the short answer to your question is no, you, you just can't, you can't tell necessarily. There's no way to prove it, at least in my opinion. It's all based on the relationship because sometimes I'll call people out. I'm like, really, where did this offer come from? Because yesterday you didn't have one. And I've asked you throughout the whole process if anything's changed. 
or if you're interviewing someplace else, that's a, a question I ask all the time. And people will say, oh, no, I don't have anything else going on. I'm really focused on, you know, your company. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And then all of a sudden an offer comes up. I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> so it's, it's just interesting. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I mean, I tend to really encourage people to be authentic and honest, not at your disadvantage, right? Because I'm representing the candidate, you're representing the firm. But, you know, playing those games sometimes can really backfire for you. So, so what are the other two tips? Because the first one is have a reason why you want more money. What's the next one? I'd say the next one is remember why you were looking in the first place as a candidate, you know, what attracted you to this company in the first place? Because um, that's important, you know, the culture, the leadership. And even though you're countering for more money, tell the person you're talking to, it's not just about the skills you're bringing, but it's what you're going to contribute to the culture of the company and con uh, contribute to the growth of the company. That's, that's a big one for us because uh, culture fit is huge. We would rather hire someone who's a better culture fit than someone who had all the skill sets in the world that we we're looking for. Because we can train people on a lot of stuff, but we can't train people to be good people or again, to have some of the, the core competencies that we're looking for, for the, the cultural fit. Such a great point. I think more and more people are really aware of the cultural fit more so than you know, once again, I'm dating myself, but back in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't about culture. <laughs> it was about getting the position and, and moving on up. So what else? Is there any other tips that you want to leave us with? I know time has gone so fast today with you and I've learned so much. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that pops out. Um, it's not jumping into my head, but I, I really would say just remind, I know I just said this, but I, hopefully I can send a message to candidates is when people start looking now, there's one thing we recruit people from companies. That's a little different because they weren't, they were happy. They weren't looking, but when you've started, you've made that decision to leave your company. It was for some reason you weren't happy with leadership. You weren't making enough money. You didn't like your position, like your manager, whatever it might be. So we have lost candidates to counter offers as well. And I would just remind people to really think about why you were leaving that company in the first place. Change is hard. Going to a new company is hard. Sometimes you might even, uh, a lot of people think you have to always make more money to go to a new job, more, more money, a bigger title. It's not always the case. Sometimes you're going because the opportunity is better. It's a better culture. It's a better environment. The, the manager, whatever you know about them. And maybe you are going to take a slight cut in pay or your title is going to be slightly different, but you're going to get so much more. And taking that one step or half step back, you might get three steps forward that you might not have gotten if you stayed in that current company and you took that counter offer or you, you took that bigger offer from that other big company. It's really look at the whole picture. It's really important to, and then have that checklist and put them side by side and compare what you're looking at to make sure that it's meeting what you want as an individual, not because you're going to get the bigger paycheck. So here's what I'm walking away with learn from everything, definitely understand why you're looking, if you're leaving a company, why you're leaving, and then really look at what value you provide to the new company. And if you want more money, then you need to justify it. And last Absolutely. but not least, we mentioned this a couple of times, Sandy, was culture. I think nowadays, and especially, I don't know about you, but with the pandemic, I think all of us have really noticed what is important to us in our work? What, is, what mm. is it that feeds our souls and what is important to us in life? And I think that cultural fit, the work-life balance, for lack of a better word, uh, is, is so key. Um, 
So where can people connect with you? It sounds like it might be LinkedIn, seeing as you have so many LinkedIn contacts, but you let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, LinkedIn's great. That's a great way to get to, uh, if you want to read more about me, see my background, um, kind of follow my professional career and uh, absolutely connections. I welcome them because our paths may not cross directly, but indirectly. I also act as a conduit to other connections that I have. I have a lot of people that say, hey, I see you're connected to this person. Could you introduce me? I'm like, absolutely. I love introducing people. So please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That is a great offer. And Sandy, it's been so fun to chat with you today and to get the inside scoop on negotiation. Thanks for breaking money silence with me. Oh, thanks for having me. This episode is sponsored by PlanWell, BeWell. PlanWell, BeWell is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.